Hello, and welcome to the Gestalt IT Rundown for Wednesday, September the 1st, 2021. My name is Tom Hollingsworth, and I am one of the hosts of this wonderful thing that we do each and every week. And today, I am joined by two co-hosts. You've seen them over the last couple of weeks, and I wanted to make uh, sure that you uh, had a chance to meet both of them today, because this is one of our first episodes where we're doing three, count them, three people bringing you the weekly Gestalt IT Rundown. Zach, how are you doing today? You know, Tom, I'm doing great. I'm excited to be here, happy to be the third head on this Cerberus that we have developed, and uh, excited to really dive into the news. Also guarding the gates of hell as it relates to IT news is our friend, our mentor, and uh, our leader, Mr. Stephen Foskett. Stephen, welcome to the show. I prefer to be called Garm than Cerberus, but, uh, you know, I'll take it. Um, also, I'm pleased to be here on Diatomaceous Earth Day. Well, we're very happy to have you, and we're hopefully going to be bug-free um, but unfortunately, that's not the case because we'll get to some of those news stories later. But we're going to start out with one that's actually kind of a happy story because guess what? WD announced this week that they are combining NAND flash storage with spinning disks to create fast, dense drives that probably are a lot like Reese's peanut butter cups. OptiNAND is the name of this product, which promises both enterprise and consumer offerings. Um, WD said that this product is designed to help meet the needs of the massive amount of data that's going to need to be stored in the coming years, along with that desire that everyone has to have it accessed right now. Um, the drive will operate in a hybrid model, and that's because they have some custom firmware that they've created, as well as an embedded SOC that's directing all the traffic to make sure that it goes where it's supposed to. WD mentioned that those products, both the enterprise and the consumer versions, probably will be available by the end of the year. Now, Stephen, you are Mr. Storage, and you definitely have a lot of experience in both of these areas. Is having both NAND and spinning disk in one enclosure a valuable offering, or is this too little too late? Well, Tom, uh, I think I should first differentiate this from every other attempt to put NAND and spinning disk in the same container because that's been done and done and done. In fact, you mentioned the H word, hybrid. Uh, this ain't no hybrid drive, um, or at least it's not what we used to call a hybrid drive. In fact, uh, the NAND flash in question doesn't hold user data at all. It's not tiered, it's not a cache, it's not nothing. What it does is it holds sort of the metadata that's used to uh, correctly uh, align the heads and put data on the disk. Um, disks do all sorts of magic tricks to increase density. And a lot of that stuff is now gonna be done in flash instead of on the disk media itself, which is uh, motherhood and apple pie as far as I'm concerned. It makes a lot of sense to use flash to do that. Um, it allows them to use more disk capacity for user data. It also allows them to do more cool stuff because they can actually uh, use more storage to store more uh, parametric information to cram the data a little bit closer on those disks. And WD is saying that they're going to put this on basically every 20 terabyte and higher drive that they make from now on. So in other words, this isn't a new line of drives. It's not a new thing that you're going to be specking. You're not going to go down to your local micro center and pick yourself up an Opti flash drive or OptiNAND drive. Instead, you're going to go and just buy a WD drive and it's just going to have a little more capacity than it used to, which is just good. 
Um, the only time that user data isn't going to find itself in this little cache is if you unplug the drive unceremoniously, in which case it'll dump any remaining disk content or any remaining writes to the to the NAND flash and save them, and then it'll commit them later when it can. So, um, like I said, all good stuff. Um, uh, sounds good, um, especially considering that uh, WD is already one of the largest makers of NAND flash in addition to the one of the largest hard drive makers. So it kind of makes sense. Uh, Reese's peanut butter cups. Yeah, I'll take that. Hey, uh, Zach, uh, got a story for you. Uh, T-Mobile is recovering from a little fun uh, exploration uh, through their systems. It was disclosed uh, that the mobile giant suffered from a breach where a hacker gained access to some 54 subscriber, oh no, I mean 54 million subscriber records. Um, this investigation from Mediant didn't disclose many details about the attack, but it did mention specifically that the actor leveraged knowledge of technical systems, specialized tools, and capabilities, which sounds very much like an inside job or a disgruntled former employee, but this hasn't been confirmed or denied. T-Mobile has said that no customer payment information has been stolen. In a statement, uh, the hacker, a 21-year-old John Aaron Bins, denounced the security of T-Mobile and mentioned that an unsecured internet-facing router was the entry point for the attack. He would not confirm that he was paid for the hack or whether or not he had stole, sold the data to other parties. Is this a big deal, uh, or is it time to add another tally mark on the data breach board? You know, Stephen, I think it's probably both. Uh, you know, this this is not only another tally mark for the data breach board as a whole, but one for T-Mobile as well, who has now got multiple different breaches under their belts. And as such, uh, you know, it, it, it draws into question their security practices as a whole. I mean, like you mentioned, having an unsecured internet-facing router uh, that anyone can just hop on and access and then make their way into your entire network is is a pretty huge security flaw. And add to that the fact that, you know, T-Mobile being a, a network company doesn't have a secure network is just something that is going to draw a lot of customers uh, to question their efficacy as a service provider, in my opinion. And it's, it's one of those things that really, it seems like should be base for, for most of these giant companies these days. They should really, there should be more general security practices and policies in place to really just prevent this at the source. Uh, this, this hacker, uh, this, this young fella, you know, clearly a very, uh, a savvy, you know, technical guy. And, and, uh, it turns out that most hackers are. So if, uh, if you're leaving these sorts of things exposed, people are going to exploit them. It's just the nature of the beast. So in my opinion, this, this is kind of a big deal and, and it should probably draw into question a lot of, you know, like just concerns about how, about how T-Mobile is operating and, and how they're securing things. And it's, uh, it's, it's definitely a head scratcher for me personally, but uh, you know, they, like, like you said, they, they haven't confirmed nor necessarily denied that information was stolen. So you know, if you are a T-Mobile customer, perhaps you might want to check your, uh, you know, your bank account, perhaps uh, put in a, an Experian credit, uh, you know, report uh, thing just to, just to be safe. But in the meantime, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's rather concerning. And, and T-Mobile definitely needs to be acting more than just saying, hey, this happened. You know, they, they, this needs to, this, this warrants further action and immediately. So 
uh, hopefully we see some some big changes soon to the way that they're they're showing things up. Tom, I've I've got a story for you here. Uh, it, it it appears that the current job marketing market is favoring experience over paper, according to a new report. In the 2021 IT Skills Demand and Pay Trends Report, which was released this week, uh, results noted that there's an overabundance of supply of certified individuals out there. And to be honest, employee, employers are starting to prioritize those with experience over those with certs. Uh, the report theorizes that the reasoning behind the move is that people laid off during the early stages of the pandemic may have turned to online certification to help really build and bolster their chances of being hired in the future. Premiums are being paid to those with skills in esoteric skills like Apache PIP or hot options in the cloud like Amazon DynamoDB. So Tom, are we just stating the obvious here? IT vendors and practitioners are looking for plumbers, not PhDs, film at 11. Um, unfortunately, this is the perfect storm of exactly what we've been telling people for years. You need to be skilled up in order to be able to understand things. Certifications are not a gateway to being hired in and of themselves. They are simply a reflection of the skill set that you do have. So here's what happened. A whole bunch of people said, I want to get a new job. And what they did was rather than tinkering with the stuff and figuring out how it works, they went out and they took an online uh, learning program. And let's be fair, there are tons of them out there. And there are really good ones like Pluralsight, Acloud Guru, um, any one of a number of groups that you can, you can work with. And a lot of people got certified. Great. But now you're competing against all of those people. And guess what? You all have the same certificate. And how do I differentiate between three different plumbers that have the same plumbing license? Well, I see who has done the most work. And that's where the hangup's going to happen. Because in the middle of a pandemic, when you're training for a new job, it's probably not a whole lot of work out there for you. So that's what's happened. And this brain drain is only going to continue because now we're all competing for the same position, basically. And you know what that means ultimately? Well, I need someone with 15 years of container experience. If you've ever read that requirement on a LinkedIn job posting, you know how ridiculously stupid it is. Because first of all, containers haven't been around for 15 years, but more importantly, it's going to drive people to start putting those kinds of requirements on everything that they do, even for entry-level positions, because they're trying to weed out the people who have never done this a day in their life. So do yourself a favor. If you're out there and you got a certification during the pandemic and you're looking to get a new job and you're wondering why nobody is even gonna sniff your resume, go break something. Now, preferably I'd like you to do it in your home lab and not a production device somewhere, but break it, fix it, learn on it, get some practical experience behind your belt and when you do that, someone will probably hire you. But if you're relying on a piece of paper to get your foot in the door, remember that uh, paper can get shut in the door a whole lot easier than a foot. All right, um, Stephen, if the last storage field day taught us anything, it's that Flash is becoming a major part of most organizations' approaches to storage. And that fact has been made very apparent by recent news coming out of our friends over at Vast, the startup who earlier this month announced they would be working with our good old friends at the U.S. Department of Defense on a contract to the tune of around $10 million, which is really big for Vast, but, you know, it's the Department of Defense. So um, they have announced another $10 million line of business the folks at Vast did, this time coming out of an undisclosed major U.S. automotive manufacturer. Hmm, I wonder whose cars are going to be powered by Vast pretty soon. 
Now, is this going to be the next big thing in storage? Are we looking at them potentially taking on the likes of our uh, venerable friends over at Dell with their Isilon system with ECS or even data domain? Well, here's the thing. Uh, first uh, first off, uh, full disclosure, we know the folks at VAST. Uh, we've worked with them with our Tech Field Day events. And uh, if you go to Tech Field Day and you look them up, you'll see uh, their presentations in 2019 and 2020. Um, VAST makes something really, really good. And they are competing at the highest levels in storage, even though the company is only a few years old. Frankly, they uh, put together a really nice product. People really like it. And people are buying the bleep out of it. So there's that, um, you know, a $10 million customer doesn't sound big when you're used to the IT, you know, the size of IT company budgets. I mean, a lot of these companies measure their revenue in with a B instead of an M at the beginning of the number. But, um, you know, that being said, uh, for a smaller company like Vast, getting two $10 million companies in a same month is pretty good news. So I would say this is pretty cool. Uh, more importantly, is that this customer is reportedly a U.S. automaker. Considering there are only three major U.S. automakers, um, we can kind of guess that it's probably Ford, GM, or Tesla. And considering that, um, well, I think it's Tesla. But anyway, the point is, um, it, it's a good customer. They're putting a lot of money in this, and uh, Vast is certainly going to make hay out of every customer win they get. Um, it's worth reporting on, frankly, because it shows that this company is capable of actually selling stuff and not just talking about it. And uh, that's actually a big differentiator in the tech space. So congratulations, Vast. Um, I don't know which company it is. I was just making that up. I, I, hope, it's, uh, I hope it's a cool one. And I hope they buy a lot more um, because it's good stuff, good product. So, hey, Tom, um, are you tired of telling Aruba Airwave to do things and being told no? Well, you're in luck. According to a new release from HPE, the platform is affected by a bug in the sudo command that is used to execute processes with root privileges. According to the report, uh, there's a chain of commands that can be issued that allows an attacker to gain root access to the system and execute arbitrary commands. The vulnerability was discovered back in January and could potentially impact millions of devices that rely on the open source program. The vulnerability was patched out of Mac, Mac OS earlier this year, but a lot of embedded systems may not be so lucky. And frankly, uh, Aruba Airwave may be just the tip of the iceberg here. I find it funny that we're running into the same problem that we saw with Heartbleed all those many, many years ago, which is we have built open source software into our platform. And let's be fair, if you're running on Linux, you're using this and you don't even know it. Or if you're smart, you actually do know that you're using it, in which case you're probably scrambling to patch it already. But that's the problem. If I customize my entire system, I can fix this problem. If I'm running a whole bunch of stuff on Ubuntu in the cloud, I've already patched this problem out because they released a patch for it many, many moons ago. However, I don't have control over things like Aruba Airwave or Mac OS or a whole bunch of other embedded systems that are running Linux or worse yet, trying to hide the fact that they're running Linux under the hood. 
And luckily for us, this is not as exploitable as Heartbleed or any of the other crazy, ridiculous things that we've seen, which are vulnerabilities in specific packages. This requires a specific chain of commands to be executed in order to be able to arbitrarily execute code on the system. And even if you can do that, Lord knows what you're going to be able to do other than maybe just crash things. So maybe this will give people enough time to build these patches. However, this is another big problem that we really have to basically beat the vendors about is if you're going to leverage a whole bunch of open source projects in order to do your work for you, because that's kind of what they're doing, you absolutely have to disclose to us which ones you're using and what versions of code you're on. Because the other thing is there is absolutely no reason for them to up, upgrade the version of you know OpenSSL or sudo or anything else in that package when they released a new firmware update for the system, except for things like this. So you could find out that you're running a super old version that is ridiculously open to a whole bunch of other vulnerabilities and not even realize it. So this should be a warning call for everybody out there. Know what's running on your systems. Know where you need to fix that. And honestly, if you see a disclosure of a vulnerability about something as core to the system as sudo or OpenSSL or, or anything, you need to push right back on your vendors and go, is this an affected solution? Do I need to patch this out? And if not, you guys need to get on this and get it fixed. So caveat installer. All right, we had one closer look story that we wanted to take a look at this week, and, and it's it's a big one. So I'm going to let Zach take it away and read this one in. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, I'm going to call myself ground control here because Major Tom, General Steven, this one's astronomical, so buckle up. Microsoft is seeing stars this week as the disclosure of a galaxy-sized vulnerability was reported. What was that vulnerability, you ask? Well... The Cosmos DB service, which runs the databases of the largest Azure customers, you know, that giant cloud thing that Microsoft does, it was revealed to have a flaw going back almost two years. Utilizing the Jupyter Notebook Visualization Tool, hackers over at Wiz, who have dubbed this the Chaos DB Breach, uh, were able to grab the primary keys of any database running on the platform and start harvesting information. Wiz reported that they have full read-write access to the affected platforms before the vulnerability was recently patched on the 14th of August. Uh, I asked this question to both of you. Are we looking at an out-of-this-world problem for the Redmond Cloud Giant? Well, here's the deal, and and I'm sorry, I, I've got to I've got to give credit where it's due because I do this to Amazon all the time when they screw things up. You enable the service on these systems, and then it developed a bug, and you just kind of did this. And to be fair, they enabled the Jupyter Notebook thing, which is basically a really pretty graphing solution, and had it enabled for two years, you could you could opt in. What really got the ball rolling was back in February of 2021, they enabled it by default on every new installation. Boy, that increased your attack surface a lot. So the Wiz people were just playing around and they realized, holy crap, we can pull the primary keys out of these databases. I wonder what you could do with the primary keys. Uh, the answer is everything. Speaking as someone who has an experience in systems administration in the back end, if you own the primary key to a table in a database, you literally have the master key to that table because those don't change. Now, you may think when you're building a database, oh, I'll make it some unique number that I never have to worry about, like a social security number or something like that. No, the rule of thumb is you make it a random number that is not associated with anything in any other way so that you never have to change it. So that if a social security number gets changed for some random reason, 
or some other thing might happen. You have a globally unique identifier. I mean, hell, that's what a GUID is. It is a globally unique key. And once I have those, whoo, Bobby Tables is going to town now because I have access to everything in the database. And that's what they found out. And as soon as they reported it, kudos to Microsoft because they patched it in two days. It's the other 718 days that I was a little bit worried about when you could pretty much do whatever you wanted. And let's be fair, the White Hats over at Wiz reported on it as soon as they could find it. Boy, I wonder if there was anybody else, maybe some people over in Eastern Europe that would have loved to have had a hold of this puppy for a while. Um, oh, wait, we kind of know what that looks like. And I wouldn't honestly be surprised if all the shenanigans that we saw at the end of the year last year, thanks to SolarWinds big breach, and we know they were dunking around in Microsoft systems for a very long time, if they didn't find this too, and oh boy, if they got away with the keys to that kingdom, I can't wait for all of the tea that's going to get drunk on this one. Stephen? Yeah, let, let me be clear. Uh, I'm not going to provide the security perspective, but I'll provide the cloud perspective here, says the, uh, the cloud guy here. Um, I will say that uh, it's important to understand that Cosmos DB is not a little used corner case feature of Azure. Cosmos DB is probably the most advanced NoSQL database in the world. Uh, for example, if you buy into um, magical squares from research companies, it is the leader in operational database management systems since two, 2016. Um, Cosmos DB is publicly used by companies like Mercedes-Benz, Chipotle, Symantec. It's also definitely used by Microsoft themselves including being the back-end store for um, Microsoft Office and Skype and Xbox and the MSN network. So to have unrestricted access to anyone's table through an exploit is pretty bad because the truth is that someone could have used this access to get into, for example, all of the data from Microsoft Office and, or all the data from Symantec. And if you can get into that, then you can probably get into all sorts of other things too. Now, that being said, we don't know if this has been used, but we also don't know if it hasn't been used. And it certainly could have been used. Uh, the way that you do this is actually kind of clever, but the bottom line is, uh, as Tom said, once you get access to the private key, uh, you can basically, the master key, you can kind of do whatever you want uh, with somebody else's data. So I will say that, um, you know, from a cloud perspective, this is really eye-opening. Um, this, like I said, it's, it's the leading cloud NoSQL database. Um, it's one of the best products, uh, scalable database products on the market. And it has been widely, widely used by the kind of customers that use Azure, which is to say the biggest co companies on the planet. Well, I'm absolutely certain that we're going to hear more about this story in the coming weeks. And that's one of the things that we love about here on the rundown is I guarantee you, no matter what week of the year it is, we're going to have more exciting news stories and probably a few security breaches and the occasional story about Intel and some other chip news and stuff like that. And if you don't want to miss that, you know where you need to be, which is here on Wednesday at 1230 Eastern time every week where we will be bringing you every story that you know matters to the enterprise IT practitioner. We're not going to be covering new satellite connectivity and iPhones. Ah, pff, that's passe. We're going to talk about the really cool stuff. 
Um, and if you want to learn more about the really cool stuff that we cover, it's not just the rundown where you need to be checking things out. Um, Zach, if people want to learn about some of the cool stuff that you've been looking at, where can they go to find more? Absolutely. You can head on over to gestaltit.com. Uh, we've got a massive, massive reel of content that you can check out and read and uh, learn all about the events we've been running here recently. Um, and Stephen, I'm, I, there's one that's near and dear to your heart that's coming up too. Do you mind telling everyone about that? Absolutely. So uh, this week is Tech Field Day week. Uh, we have uh, four companies presenting. Um, you will hear more about Cisco's IoT and Meraki systems. Uh, you'll hear pure storage. Um, a first-time uh, presenter called Vasa, which is really interesting. Uh, and uh, we're going to wrap things up with Xilinx, uh, who we've mentioned here on the program in the past. So please do check those out at techfieldday.com. Also, I do want to make a quick pitch. If you enjoy artificial intelligence and GPUs and next-generation computing, we are launching season three of the Utilizing AI podcast on September 7th. So please, please do head over to utilizing-ai.com or just look up Utilizing AI in your favorite podcast application and uh, give us a subscribe. Uh, every week there, every Tuesday, we're going to be publishing a new episode. We got some fun things in store for season three, uh, produced by the same folks you he see here, including uh, behind the camera, Abby, uh, who is our uh, master podcast producer, and uh, definitely do tune in for Utilizing AI. Speaking of podcasts, if uh, the rundown usually goes live while you're out mowing the yard or going for your jog or headed down to Duncan to get your favorite, um, you know, whatever you order from Dunkin' Donuts, I don't have one around here, so Stephen's going to have to tell me later. Um, make sure you subscribe to the podcast version of this episode, um, which will be out whenever we publish this one as well, because we... We, did, we can't wait to bring you all of the great stuff that we talk about each and every week. Um, but for myself, Tom Hollingsworth, for my amazing co-hosts, Zach and Steven, for all the people behind the scenes, I want to thank you very much for tuning in for this episode of The Rundown. We look forward to seeing you again next week and have an amazingly awesome day. 